0: So it's often regarded that the most important sentence of a book is the opening line, all right? So Masterclass notes that the difference between a best-selling novel and just a good story that languishes in obscurity is a great opening line, all right? And there's been a lot of them throughout time, all right? There's so many good ones, so many good one-liners at the beginning of stories as you open up, crack open a book, and it really sucks you into the whole entire story. And so um, here's some examples of them, all right? So here's what I want to do, all right? I'm going to share an opening line from a book, and then I'm going to have a picture of the cover title. I want to see if you can name the book off of the opening line, all right? So, interact with me here a little bit. Please don't make it awkward. All right. Um, so, here's the first one Call Me Ishmael. What book? Moby Dick. Moby Dick. There it is. Andy, your pastor, Andy Myers, come in, in strong. Let's go. Second one is an oldie but a goodie. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. What book? A Tale of Two Cities. Of Two Cities. Pastor, come in, in strong tonight. Let's go college students, where are you at? Oh, we got it in the back too. Treston, you got it? Sorry, bro. Sorry. I hear you. All right. Last one. Here we go. Everybody should get this one. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. The hobbit. It's in the whole entire line. The hobbit. So, man, as you read these, you may, have, may one of two reactions probably happened inside of you. One is like dread from high school literature, right? It's like, oh, my gosh. And then some of you, there's like warm, fuzzy feelings, probably because of The Hobbit. That's probably the only one. But either way, these are classic opening lines that are remembered throughout literature's history that have sucked people in to a great story that have been remembered for all time. And tonight we're looking at what may be the most recognized opening line ever recorded in human history. Um, Genesis 1 1 says this, and you can say it with me because you all know it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The best opening line that's ever out there. It hits all the marks for a great opening line. You get introduced to the main character, you get established with. Intrigue, how the world began. It's not something that we draw lightly. I mean, it's something that everybody has thoughts and thinks about and has ideas for how our world came into existence. It sets a theme. It opens God's story of redemption and how he works it out through human history. It's just a classic, most well-known opening line. Of any literature. And so here's our desire at Storyline. All right. We say this our vision is that we connect God's story to your story and the story of our city. And if we're going to do that, we need to know all of the Bible. We need to know what God has said from the very beginning of time and how he's worked throughout human history and how Jesus came in and has ultimately fulfilled the promises that he gave us. And so if that's the case, then we need to go back to the very beginning. All right. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start tonight. A probably a year to a year and a half series through the book of Genesis, where we're going to trek through the book of Genesis. Wild stories that are in the book of Genesis, all right? There's crazy things that happen. It's going to be incredible. We'll have some small breaks for different series here throughout that year, year and a half. But um, if you look at the book there, it breaks down into two parts, all right? Both the pillars of our world, as well as the patriarchs of our faith. So Genesis 1 through 11, you see the pillars of our world that are established. So you have creation you have humanity, you have the fall or where, where sin entered into our world, you have the establishment of cities, all of this within Genesis 1 through 11. And then Genesis 12 through 50, you get the patriarchs of our faith. You get... Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the stories that are enveloped within the lives of these main patriarchs of our faith. And so in essence, if you want to know how our world was designed to work, as well as how our faith was established, who really began to help get the movement started that God worked through in human history, then Genesis is the book for us, all right? And so here's what I want us to do this evening. We're going to begin at the very beginning, which is the creation account. And there's three different, different movements that we're going to look at through the creation account um, tonight. So the first one, if you're a note taker, is the person or persons behind creation. The second one are the planks of creation, and then the third one is the proclamation over creation, all right? So we're going to start, and we're going to work through these movements, and then we'll end with some application, amen? All right, let's start. So let's begin with the first movement. You see it within the very first three verses of Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to reread this part. I'm not going to reread the whole chapter, so... Breathe deeply, all right? Um, I'll reread this part because it's really important for us, and then we'll dive in. All right, so here's what verse 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let's say it the whole, this passage, a whole sermon's worth could be done on just these few verses. Um, but we don't have time to dive into it in that extent. So here's what I want us to do. What, here's what I think we need to take away from these first three verses, right? There's two things. First one is this. There is a God. There is a God. And he's the main character of the whole entire Bible. And here's what we learn about him within these first three Three verses of the whole entire Bible. One, we learn that the main character of the Bible, who is God, he is eternal. Moses, who's the author of Genesis, writes, in the beginning, meaning God existed before time even began. That God has never had a moment, that he was not in existence, he's in uh, Immort, immortal, that's the word. Uh, I almost said immoral, and that would have been way wrong. He's immortal, um, and there's never been a moment that God has not existed. He's eternal. Secondly, he's creator. The word create here is the word bara, and it has always, it's used 49 times throughout the Old Testament. It always is speaking of a new activity, and the subject of it is always God. And what we learn about God in the way that he is creator is that he creates something out of nothing. What the Bible or what theologians have called this is ex nihilo, that you create something out of nothing. That's the power of this God. You, can't, you and I can't do this. <laughs> we can't speak something into existence, but our God can. And we learn that about him in the first three verses Of Scripture. The last one that we see here, there's many more, but the one that I want to highlight for us is that this God is three in one. Within the the first three verses of the Bible, you see that God is a triune God, that He is one God in three persons. So here's what you see the Father speaks. Then, secondly, you see that the Son, He acts. So um, you see this in verse 3. It's probably the hardest one to see within these first three verses of where the Trinity really draws out. You probably question where is Jesus in all of this. If you look throughout all of the Bible, Jesus is called the Word of God. You see hints of this language in Proverbs chapter 8, but you see it explicit in the gospel of John. John steals from the book of Genesis in the opening of his gospel where he writes this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing has been created that has been created. So here's what happens. God the Father speaks, and then Jesus acts. The words that are spoken are Jesus enacting creation here in the creation account. And then the last one that we see is the Holy Spirit. And he displays God's presence in creation. You see this in verse 2 where it says that the Holy Spirit hovers over the surface of creation. What's happening here is he's both sustaining and manifesting the presence of God in creation. So within the first three verses, you see the triune God introduced. You see the magnitude of who he is, that there's never been a point in time that he has not existed. You see that he's powerful in the way that he creates, but you see that he's one God in three persons. Now, not only is there a God that we see within these first three verses, but we see that he does speak. He makes himself known, right? So the immortal God, the almighty, the all-creative The all-knowing God, he speaks and makes himself known to mankind. That's who your God is. He's not this big, elaborate God that's off in the space that creates human existence and then leaves us to himself. That's not who our God is. Our God speaks and he makes himself known. We see this, and I think it's really important that um, he didn't reveal this to us a quarter of the way into the Bible like, it's not like God does all of this work and then halfway or a quarter of the way through the Bible, it's like, oh yeah, that was me that did all of that. No, it's from the very outset that God is saying, I am the God who created everything, including you, and I want you to know me. I The I'm moving towards you in the way that I'm creating this world. Everything that I'm doing is me moving towards you. That's what we see here. We also see that there's not ambiguity about who this God is, but it's He makes himself very well known because it's the triune God that speaks the world into existence, that works in the account of creation. And so it's the Trinitarian God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that is at work here and within the very first three verses of all creation. So here's what I think we need to take away from this, all right? The truths that we learn from this creation account are to be the interpretive lens for all of the Bible for all of the Bible, that there is a God and that he's spoken and made himself known in human history should should affect the way that we read every part of our Bible, all right? So for example, Michael Reeves, he speaks about the triune God like this. He puts this into practice for us. He says, because the Christian God is triune, the Trinity is the governing center of all Christian belief, the truth that shapes and beautifies all. All others, and look at this, the Trinity is the cockpit of all Christian thinking. So look, whenever you're reading historical narratives like Genesis or the accounts of David in 1 and First and Second Samuel or all that Moses has done in Exodus, when you're reading wisdom literature like the Psalms and the Proverbs, when you're looking at prophetic literature like Daniel and Isaiah, when you're looking at the law, even the hard stuff like Leviticus, we're to read all of this in view of the Trinitarian God that spoke the world into existence and made himself known to humankind that's the way by which we are to read throughout the whole entire bible because look the god who makes himself known and the god who acts and the one that makes his presence with his people is the interpretive lens by which we read the whole entire bible it's crucial for us if we're going to understand everything that God speaks to us, articulates to us, that we read about the Bible, we read the Bible through the lens of this very God who has made himself known. He's the person or persons behind all creation. But we don't see it stop there. We see that uh, the way he's designed the world is within verses 3 through 31. So the planks of creation are what we see here. The acts of creation in verses 3 through um, 31. So verses 1 and 2 are sort of like the short introduction to all of the creation account. Then you see 3 through 31 are the details of how this creation was actually spoken into existence. So they're the planks of creation, right? So if you are laying a wood floor in your home, I've had to do this in my basement in an old home that I was a part of. Um, and so what we did is we got the wood planks. And so what you have to do is you have to put wood plank after wood plank after wood plank in place until the whole entire floor is laid out. And that's exactly what we see God doing here in verses 3 through 31. He's laying the foundation of creation. He's putting it into place plank by plank throughout the six days. And so here's how God does it, all right? So we see two movement, movements throughout verse, uh, verses 3 through 31. So the first one is that God organizes creation, and then the second movement is that he fills it, all right? So in the first three days of creation, God separates or he organizes creation, right? So here's really quickly the six days in, God's way, in the way that God acted. So day one, he separates light from darkness. He organizes. He separates light from darkness here. He brings formation to the earth. Day two, he separates the waters above from the waters below. Day three, he separates the waters below from dry land, and then you see the land begin to produce vegetation. What's fascinating here. We all know if you've taken like middle school science that you need light in order for fruit and uh, plants to grow, but the sun hasn't come into existence yet. God is the one, he's the light source by which the world is creating vegetation on its land, which is mind blowing and speaks to the power of our God. And so the final three days we see God then begins to fill creation. So day four, God fills creation with the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, God fills creation with sea creatures and then flying creatures. And then day six, God fills creation with land, animals, and then human beings, all right? So here's what I think we need to take away from all of this, all right? The, the planks of creation. First one is this, creation's not an accident. The God, cre- God creates the world with thought and intentionality in the way that he's worked throughout this opening section of the Bible. The book of Proverbs tells us that wisdom was God's companion during creation. So like a beautiful hand-woven garment, like a seamstress that is piecing together this beautiful garment, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of intentionality to every hand-weaving movement that takes place in putting together a garment that is the exact same way that our God has put our world into existence. And he's woven wisdom throughout every fabric of our creation. And so, We need to recognize that none of this is an accident, but it's actually very thoughtful and very purposeful in the way that God has pieced this world together. The second thing is that creation was designed with rule and order. So if you fast forward to the New Testament, Colossians chapter one tells us that Jesus created all things and he holds them all together, meaning he's the one that rules over creation and he's the one that continues to keep it together after he is the one that enacted and made it A reality. Then you also see 1 Corinthians 14.33. It tells us that God is not a God of confusion, but of order. And this stems all the way back to even the way that he formed and he shaped this world into existence. We see both of these things in creation. So look, here's, here's what I want you to take away from this. Creation is a testimony to us. It speaks to us. So what happens with a testimony, it retells a story to shed light on truth. That's, what, that's why we, you have testimonies that make their way into court. You're trying to bring witness to things that have, actually, that have actually happened in human history. And what we are to do is we're to look at creation and to be reminded, one, that this world has purpose and meaning. So the, this wasn't an accident It wasn't something that was contrived or like this idea that was put together. There wasn't like this accident that happened. But God purposefully and meaningfully put this world into place. And then the second one is that you're not an accident. You were created thoughtfully and wonderfully Above all of creation, you have dignity and worth and value because the Bible tells us that you are created in God's image. We're going to look at this more uh, in depth next week, so I'm not going to go too deep there, but you're not an accident, all right? And so look, when you're feeling lonely and insignificant, what you can do is you can get away with a friend and you can just go out into creation and you can look at creation and you can know that the God who made himself known, who pieced the world together plank by plank, who thought you up before this world came into existence, before time even began, you can go out and look at this creation. You can look at the wisdom by which he's created it. You can look at the leaf. You can look at a tree. You can look at the ant work. And you can be reminded that the God who spoke this world into existence thought you up and spoke you into existence and you have meaning and you have purpose and you have value. Because God's testimony to you is his creation. So we've seen the persons behind creation, we've seen the planks of creation, the days that God spoke this world into existence and then he concludes creation with a proclamation in verse 31. I will reread this, so... I spared you a lot, but here we go. Here's what he says, verse 31. God saw that he had made, and it was very good indeed. And evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So at the end of creation, God looked over all that he had made, and he declares it very good. And so here's what a lot of uh, smart Bible people say, all right? So Moses is the one that speaks, or he's the one that writes this. And it's commonly held in belief that he's speaking against the myths and stories of the ancient Near East during this point in time. All right, so you have all these different ideas, these legends about how the world came into existence from Mesopotamia, specifically Babylon. And so you have things like the Enuma Elish or the Epic of Gilgamesh that are speaking about um, how this world came into existence, their myths that were often viewed, um, These like the Enuma Elish and the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, they view reality as if they are bad or unclean, as if they're a result of a catastrophe or these wars that happen amongst the gods, but the Bible tells a very different story. When you look at the God of the Bible and you look at the creation account here, it's not an accident, it's not a catastrophe, it's not something that he declares is bad or unclean. After he gets done finishing his creation, he looks out over the expanse of all of it, including you, and he declares it very good indeed. Indeed. And so the God of the Bible is delighted in his creation and he declares it very good. Now, here's where I think this is to leave us. I think it's to leave us with a question, but why? Like, why would God create the world? Why go to such the links that God has done to speak this world into existence, to make Himself known, to speak over six days or time frames or periods? It's a third tier issue to us. We're not going to argue about that. All right. Um, and so, like, there. It, why would He go to such links? Why would He do all of this? Why think up human beings? Why purpose and meaning in the way that He's put? This world together. Well, I think John seventeen twenty four speaks to this. So here's context of what's happening here. Um, Jesus is about to go and be betrayed. He's at a final meal with his disciples, and so you get what's the final Lord, the final prayer, the upper room discourse that's happening here. And so John takes this prayer that he likely overheard and the Holy Spirit reminds him of this as he's writing the gospel of John. And Jesus, as he's about to go lay down his life for us, does a final prayer and sort of the purpose and meaning behind all that he's come to do. In verse 24, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Now notice a few things with me here. Jesus affirms that God is eternal. He says, you love me or, before the world's foundation. God existed before time began, before he spoke this world into existence. God was there. So we see that. Jesus reveals that love existed before creation because Jesus says, you love me before the world's foundation. So love's not a response. Love is actually the over, what we see with creation is it's an actual overflow of God's love. And then Jesus declares the purpose of our existence, which is relationship, which is the whole entire verse. (laughs) So why does God create this world and us? Look, for experienced love and relationship with him. That's why he spoke the world into existence. That's why he thought you and me up is because this love that was experienced before the world even began, it was so overflowing that he created us to enjoy it with him forever. So look, God didn't create us because he needs love. That's not who our God is. Our our God is the one who experienced perfect love before this world was created within himself, within the persons of the Trinity. The love was beautiful, the love was life-giving, and it was so good that it was something that he could not not share with somebody else. And so what God does is he, he speaks the world into existence, the Trinity working together to bring it to fruition. And then what happens is that he draws near to us in order for us to experience this good, perfect love that he has had within himself because it's too good not to share with somebody else. That's why he created everything. Michael Reeves puts it like this. This is a great book too, by the way. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. If you're looking for like a short book that you want to pick up and read and learn about the Trinity, you should pick this up. It's a great book. Uh, you, it will lead you to worship God. I promise you that. All right, so here's what he says. Love is not a mere reaction with God. In fact, it is not a reaction at all. God's love is creative. Love comes first. He gives life and being is as a free gift. For his very life, being and goodness is yeasty, That's a fun word. Spreading out there that there might be more that is truly good. In other words, here's what Michael Reeves is saying. God created this world and us out of an overflow of his love, and we are the beneficiaries of it. So look, the height of this love is not found in creation. It's not found in revelation It's not found in the sustaining of this world, but it's actually found in our salvation. See, in the New Testament, we see this triune God's love demonstrated for us in the gospel. God the Father promised our salvation before the world began. We just finished the book of Titus. Titus 1-2 says this, God the Father promised our salvation before time began. Secondly, God the Son enacted our salvation. 1 John 3.16 says this, God the Son, uh, is it up there? No, we don't have the reference. All right, I'll read it out. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. So here's essentially what Jesus is saying. I did all of this so that I can become undone for you. And then you have the Holy Spirit who seals God's presence in our life. Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believe. So look, the very God, the triune God who spoke the world into existence, he spoke and he promised our salvation before time even began. The son who enacted when God spoke, he came and he did. Jesus in our salvation, he came and fulfilled all the promises that God promised before the world was even created. He enacted our salvation. He did all of creation so that he could become un- undone for us. And then the Holy Spirit who hovers over the surfaces of the water to manifest the presence of God in his creation, look, comes to each and every single one of us when we come to salvation in Christ Jesus and he seals us with his holy with his presence for the rest of our life, and all eternity. This is what you're created for. The height of God's love, the presence of his very love in your life, walking in relationship with him. And so look, how do we respond? We believe in this work. You trust in Jesus You look at creation, you're reminded of the intentionality that God has had with you, that he was willing to lay down his life for you. And then secondly, we live in it. We live with God's people, the local church. He's given us a family that we get to walk with here in this world. We grow in relationship with him through the Bible and prayer. Like God's not this God that has spoken and given us the Bible and says like, do your best, follow it. No, it's alive and active and he speaks to us today. We have a God who's seated at the, we have Jesus who's seated at the right hand of God. And what the Bible tells us is that when we pray, Jesus is praying on our behalf before God the Father. We have this life lived with assurance of grace that there's nothing that we could do to earn our way into salvation and look, there's no way that you can unearn it either. You couldn't work for it and you can't unwork for it. This is what you get to experience and the God that spoke this world into existence, he wants to know you. And we get to step into relationship with him all because of what Jesus has done for us. Like it's beautiful, isn't it? Like everything that he's done from creation to salvation is beautiful and it's supposed to show us just how amazing of a God we truly have. So look, let's conclude as we open, all right? Opening lines to any literature are important. They are. That can be the difference between a bestseller and a good book that never gets noticed. And the opening lines of the Bible are not just important to our very interest to keep us reading the Bible, but they're important to our whole life. And in it, we meet the God who speaks, he acts, and he's present with his people. And it's not just in creation, but it's in your very salvation. So look, this week, there's just like a, a quick little application, right? Like, get out into creation, Listen to creation. Like, go take a walk with somebody. Go take a walk with somebody and then find a park bench and sit on it for a little bit. I've actually had a counselor that's told me to go do this. Go sit on a park bench and then just watch. Just see what you see in creation. Maybe there's a beautiful tree. The trees, the leaves are about to start changing color. Like, go sit in front of a tree and just take in its beauty. Go watch a bird and see how it works. Like, look at all of it and think about the intentionality that God had to take in order to bring these very things into existence. And to be reminded that God did all of this with you in mind and that He did it in order for us to have a relationship with Him, that we get to experience the beautiful, perfect love that was there before the world began. And bask in it. Let your heart be warmed. That this God that is so big, so powerful, thinks of you and wants to know you. And has taken every step in order for that to be your reality. Let's pray.